Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 117. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Now, more than any other time, now is still a time to stay vigilant. But all this month of June, we're celebrating. We're celebrating the reopening of America. We're celebrating the start of summer. And we're celebrating some of the best conversations we've ever had on this show. So I'm going to take you in the way, way back machine to February of 2020 and one of our most popular episodes ever, episode 47 with Henry Rollins. We recorded it in Los Angeles right before the pandemic hit. It was our last live audience event right before the country and the world shut down. It's a great episode to celebrate the reopening of America, to celebrate the reopening of music and music venues, and to celebrate a time of celebration. It's one of my very favorite episodes we've ever done, and I really hope you enjoy it. If you heard it before, it's a great visit back, and if you're hearing it for the first time, you're going to dig it. So here it is, my conversation with the great Henry Rollins. I really hope you enjoy it. Stay vigilant. Henry Rollins was the front man for the legendary punk rock band Black Flag. And on their classic album, Damage, this track, Rise Above, stood out. It was an anthem for the times, and it's become an anthem for all times. Henry Rollins has been a music and cultural innovator for three decades. From those early days as a front man for Black Flag and later for his own Rollins band, to films, to TV, to books, to hosting his own radio and TV shows. Henry is a voice of power, insight, and clarity. He's journeyed around the world as a curious traveler, a musician, and touring for his music and spoken word shows. He's seen over 100 countries. He's been to war zones. He's won a Grammy, and he's acted alongside Al Pacino. He's an activist for many important causes. He's focused on gay rights, freeing of the West Memphis Three, the legalization of cannabis, and he's performed for U.S. troops and U.S. tours in Djibouti, Kuwait, Iraq, Kyrgyzstan, twice in Afghanistan, Egypt, Turkey, Qatar, Honduras, Japan, Korea, and the United Arab Emirates. Henry's been there and done that. He's been all over this globe and all over this country, and few people know it with the intimacy, the empathy, and the connection that Henry Rollins does. If you love Henry Rollins, this will give you a fix like you've never had before. If you don't know Henry Rollins, welcome to a ride you won't forget. He's a true American success story, and I've had the honor of knowing him for almost two decades. He's always been ahead of the country because he understands the country in a very deep and meaningful way. He's always been a student and a teacher, and his voice has been a soundtrack for our culture, for political action, and of course, for punk music. But at his core... He's a tremendous, curious, passionate student and an incredibly articulate and powerful teacher. And class with Professor Rollins is about to be in session. And we're bringing you a steady dose of the four eyes. It's a black t-shirt of integrity. It's a machine gun drumbeat of information. It's a pounding fist of impact and a snarling vocal scream of inspiration. From the Ramones to the Stooges, to Minor Threat, to Black Flag, and from the dirty floors of small, dangerous clubs to earbuds decades later around the globe. Punk music is a soundtrack of America. It's a pounding fist 
a screaming conscience, and stinging ears of truth, raw emotion, and purity. Punk rock is the spirit of America, and it's never been needed more than right now. Welcome to a very special episode with the great Henry Rollins. We recorded it on Valentine's Day before an amazing live audience in Hollywood, just blocks away from where Henry and Black Flag recorded their iconic album Damage in 1981. We recorded it in a small, dark, and cool music venue that used to be a jail. And right now, that feels appropriate, because we're all feeling a bit in prison right now. But Professor Rollins is about to set your mind free. Strap in, sharpen your pencils, and be prepared to take some notes. Professor Henry Rollins is about to take us on a wild, fascinating, and exhilarating journey. The lyrics of the song go like this. We're tired of your abuse. Try to stop us. It's no use. We're born with a chance. Rise above. We're going to rise above. We are going to rise above. And this is the time. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 47. Dallas, coward, ride the cold. Rise above, we're going to rise above. Make this sport what we say. Rise above, we're going to rise above. Try to stop what we do. Rise above, we're going to rise above. When they can't do it themselves. Rise above, we're going to rise above. We are tired of your abuse. Try to stop us. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, to our live audience here in Hollywood at the Hotel Cafe. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 47, with our very special guest, Henry Rollins. The great and powerful Henry Rollins. Thank you, my friend, for doing this, for being here, for who you are. This is a tremendous honor and a pleasure and an inspiration. Oh, thank you, sir. And thanks for the invite. And thanks. Uh, I know everyone in this city, everyone in this room, we all work for a living. And uh, Friday during the day, you're probably supposed to be somewhere else. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's the real world. So thank you for fight carving out the time. I'm sure it wasn't easy to get out of what you usually do. So thanks for making the time to do this. And um, I've been a fan of Paul's for many, many years. And so when he asked me to do this, I, I don't think I've ever said no to you. So one time I wanted to sleep in New York. He wanted me to come down to something you guys were doing as far as some big event, some parade. He said, get your face in the place. I said, it's my first day off in like 100 years. I'm sleeping in. And you said, screw sleep. I'm like, no, I'm really <laughs> sleeping in. That's the only time I've ever said no to Paul. So, so thanks for making it, basically. And thank you. And, and happy Valentine's Day. Thanks. Henry Rollins on Valentine's Day. What do you think about Valentine's Day, man? Well, if you got someone you're devoted to, it's a nice opportunity to show them that you care. What that's like, I have no idea. <laughs> but um, it's probably really good. Yeah, I'll try it one day. Yeah. Um, I, I want to tell people what happened backstage before we came out here. We did a mic check. You are so accomplished and I want to talk about the way you hold the mic because sure. I, I learn from you every single time but 
you did something I've never seen before. Can you tell people how you checked your mic and what you were doing backstage? Oh, it's a thing I often do because I, you know, I talk for a living on tour for 20 months at a time. And so to get focused, to get everything from the day out of the way, because I got to be on point with no script for two hours a night. I, uh, I run speeches of Lincoln quote Lincoln and amendments of the constitution that I like. And so for Mike check today, I did some ruined version of the fourth amendment, which is your, your right to privacy. And uh, the fourth and the 14th are two of my favorites. And in Obergefell v. Hodges, marriage equality, the fact that marriage equality had to go to the Supreme Court is just ridiculous to me in the, quote, freest country in the world, where uh, I would have just said first, fourth, and 14th Amendments, we're done. Let Bill marry Tom. We got, we, we're, we're busy. Let's go. Right. And the fact that, you know, there's, there's, I'm a high school graduate. The fact that there's Harvard grads in the Supreme Court dissenting. And you're like, really? You got to, they're, wow. And crazy. And so um, I love, I love the Constitution, what, however I understand it. And so I use the co- constitutional amendments and Lincoln, and I just quote it as I pace nervously back and forth before I get chucked onto a stage wherever I am. And that's how I mic check today. And I, I am a student of, of people I admire and the way they carry themselves. And you come here wearing combat boots. Yeah. And like legit desert combat boots look like army issue combat boots. But also the way you're holding the mic okay. is thoughtful. That's yeah. not accidental. And a bit intimidating. Well, but tell me, tell me, tell me what, how you, you you've got it in your hand, and you want to describe it or explain why you hold the mic. That way? one of the finest instruments known to humankind is the Sure 58. On his 50th anniversary, I was the keynote speaker at the at NAM when they talked about the 58. They said, Henry, sure it did. You have to be the one who talks about the 58. I said, How many hours do I get to have, and can I use a 58? Anyway. Um, many years ago when I was playing places about this size, there's no barricade and there's people up front. They paid $4 to come in and abuse the band. And if they didn't like the new song, the guitar player wrote, they would take it out on the cute one in the band, the singer. And they would often grab the mic cord and like, let's see how he sings six pack if I pull it. And you're like, well, there goes the, I need a mic. And so I just started, just now try it. And, to, and, and, and you, now, for folks who are listening, you've, you got I it in your left hand. I've wrapped my core several times around my fingers. And so uh, even at a podcast in a, in a, with a friendly audience, you're not getting the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I'm on tour and I'm really on my game, I have a mic in my hand so much I get a callus on the crux of my thumb and right there. When those calluses go away, when I get off the road, I feel like a lightweight. But uh, about about 35 shows in, you'll get calluses and that's when you know you're on tour, Jack. Wow. Yeah. It, yeah, it's like the brass knuckleification of a microphone well, in a very it just keeps powerful you, you way. Know, you keep- but you yield it in, like, a, like a sword um, and, and everything that you bring brings an energy and a positivity and a thoughtfulness that I have always admired and been inspired by. But we were talking before we came out, you and I have known each other almost two decades now. Um, And I was trying to figure out when we first hooked up, you know, you've been a tenacious advocate for many of the causes you care about, but we were connected in part because you were dedicated to veterans. And long before veterans were a thing, long before veterans were cool, many people in this town in Hollywood were not quite so sure 
about whether veterans were going to be okay for their business or if it was too risky to do a film. Henry Rollins was meeting with wounded veterans, was connecting with veterans, was understanding and listening to veterans. We did a public service announcement campaign back, I think, in 2008 for military families. We did a press conference. You did a voiceover. Um, but I think that's how we met. Yeah, I would, I'm, a, you know, I'm a fan of yours. And I would see with Rachel Maddow, who I think is great, and I'm like, wow, that guy's together. And what he's doing, you put, you help push through the new GI Bill. And like what you're doing for veterans, because at the same time, and you, hopefully you understand that I had nothing but opposition to the invasion and occupation of Iraq. I got no, no beefs with infantry. My argument is way up the food chain. So when the USO called me in 2003, November-ish, they said, uh, hey, Henry, we don't know who you are. Nice to meet you, too. Um, but we have sign-up sheets at bases all over the world. Like, who would you like to have magically appear next Tuesday? And your name keeps popping up. Soldiers like you, so we'd like to talk to you about appearing on behalf of the USO. I said, well, how about this? I'm ready to leave tomorrow. But you might want to go on the internet and check out the 30,000 free hours of me flexing the First Amendment and my opinion on this whole damn thing before you send me into uh, Dick Cheney's corporate funland. And they went, wow, that was loaded. I said, I'm only warming up. It's 8.30. I'm still waking up. And so I figured I'm never going to hear from them again. And so a few days later, they, they wrote back like, wow, you have a big mouth. Wow. <laughs> they said, but are you in? I went, yeah. And... Somewhere in early December, I'm in Kyrgyzstan at Gansi, which is gone now, and then right to Bagram in Afghanistan. And I did my first USO thing, and then lit, which led to another, 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 first ever USO performer in Egypt. That was me. And uh, so many visits to Walter Reed and Bethesda Naval Hospital, I lost count. Because I, I, I visit D.C., it's where I'm from, and I would say, hey, I'm, I'm there Thursday, Friday to Monday. I can give you a top half of Friday, all of Saturday. And like, okay, and I, you go in and you meet wounded men. I never met women, just wounded men. And it got to the point where you're saying things like where the guy has only lost his leg below the knee. Like, you're lucky because you'll be able to ski again because it's better than the guy with no jaw, no eye, and an implant in his head because part of the front of his brain is gone in the TBI ward. And so I became very aware of you and what you were doing with veterans and I had the TV show on Independent Film Channel, and we have producers, they, they wrangle talent. I said, we should try and find this Paul Rykoff guy, because he's, he's doing the right thing. And if Rachel likes him, I like him. Because she's, she's, you know, she, she doesn't make any missteps. She's really sharp. Yeah. Anyway, I actually made her laugh once. That was cool. I, I got a laugh out of her, which is... How did you make her laugh? And she um, was a guest on this show, episode eight. If you haven't heard that, go back and check it and out. You should read her book. Her new book, Blowout, it's so hard to put down. Anyway... Um, I was, How did she you make was on Air America, uh, we were talking about that Christian town they built in uh, Florida. I believe it's called Ave Maria. And it's, you know, you, it's a gated community and it's all Christian inside, which is okay. It's their, it's their property. But I called it Ave Sharia because <laughs> it's a bit stringent. And she, she and like the great Rhodes Scholar kind of went, I was like, yes, I did it. I did it. I got, I got, a, I got a, the mouth moved. Uh, but anyway, um, we found you and you made the trip out to LA and we had you on the show. And I, I think after the thing was over, I said to you, I said, do you, do you need people on your team? Is there anything I can do? And you went, are you kidding? We need everything. Cause we're up against everything. I said, then I'm in. 
So here, and you contacted me and we've been, whatever you need, I, you know, and whenever I see you on TV, I always write you and you get back to me in like 45 seconds. Thank you, sir. Yes. Because whenever I see you, like with Rachel or whoever, I, I'm like, that was good, man. Well, it's you're, good to see you. You're a brother in the, in the movement to make this world a better place. Trying. You know, and, and for me, this journey's been surreal, but I've always said that, you know, we are fighting the forces of ignorance and, and stupidity, and we are greatly outnumbered. And we need uh, an army of people who give a shit and who want to take action and want to get in the arena, in the arena and want to push forward this country. And you are a super friend. Like when I sat down with you, that was like meeting with a superhero. I mean, an activist superhero, someone who could recite the fourth amendment, someone who had changed culture and changed minds, but also was incredibly down to earth. So I learned a lot from you, Henry. It was one of the first shows I think I'd ever been on. And it was one of the first shows I was ever excited to be on. Like this was a moment to be able to meet you and then to work alongside you has been an honor. And and you have an integrity uh, and a value set that really does stand out in, when I met with folks in Hollywood and music and others. I mean, you would have done just fine in the military. I mean, you were locked in and you know how to do execution and you have a core value set that's very unique in a positive way. So now for me to have not just appeared on your show, but to have worked alongside of you in some ways and, and been around you and now have you on my show. Oh, thanks. That, that, that's, that's a mind blower, man. Well, but yeah. it's also, I think, a testament to the fact that we're just getting started. And in 2004, you and I were talking about a war that hasn't ended, right? right. It's and, still going on. And at this point, you know, I think we, in the United States, we live in an age of eventuality. Because I get asked, like, you know, where are we now? And I say, well, we're in the age of eventuality. And, you know, what does that mean? Here's, like, here's the briefest version of what I mean. Uh, it's, it's addition. Where's the equal sign? I'll get to that in, like, 20 seconds. The invasion and occupation of a landmass by European invaders destroying the indigenous people, plus slavery and indentured servitude, plus the Civil War, plus the end of the Civil War, the 13th Amendment, 1865, uh, plus the 14th Amendment, 1868, uh, equal protection under the law, plus Jim Crow, plus the institutionalizing of racism and bigotry, minimum wage, plus the Fair Labor Standards Act, was that 1921, 31? Roosevelt, anyway, establishes time and a half for overtime, 40-hour work week, no child labor, plus whatever else, World War II and our invasion as capitalists into Europe to help clean up and make everything better and give them TGI Fridays and Denny's and Starbucks and, and, and. Uh, uh, Plus... The Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Fair Housing Act of 1965, Watergate, Nixon, and then Reagan, uh, Vietnam, sorry, uh, and then Reagan, which was a huge one, fake populist, corny actor, a guy who couldn't even be bothered to say AIDS, didn't exist, just say no, like that's going to help. Fake war on drugs is just a war on non-white and poor people, plus everything from Oberfell v. Hodges, Citizens United, plus, 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 plus. So when do we get to the damn equal sign so I can stop talking about plus, plus, plus? I think the equal sign is Trump. And I think we've hopped over the equal sign and here we are, where technology often is dictating social intercourse. Like, how did you meet your boyfriend? With my phone, from an app. Where language is truncated. See ya, like that's not relating. 
I'm a man who goes to Starbucks on Friday nights and writes at a high rate of speed while listening to punk rock. So I see all you youngsters with their, each other. And like two gorgeous people who should be somewhere secluded, naked, having fun, are facing each other, looking at their phones. And maybe I'm just all like, what the hell are you doing? You're not going to be like this in five years. Get out of here and throw the phone out the window. And so we're living in a time where it, it, when, when politicians say, our democracy is broken. That's a tell, because they're wrong. It's not broken. It's never worked better. Before you get mad at me, and what do I mean by that? It's never worked better. The money keeps going up. The middle class is, is getting smaller. And more Americans see combat as an option, as a paycheck. Like the Bathist Party, all those guys hated Saddam. But it's a pension and a paycheck and three squares and you love your kid and you want them fed. And, this and we let them go out in the street with guns. Right. We took the, we, we took the jobs away and pumped them out into there the ecosystem go. in Baghdad. And, and then they turned around and blew us up. Right. And that guy's not in jail. Right. Anyway, this country has been set up to be crassly consumerist, war-postured where our, our main export items are weapons. And we're, you know, the industrial, the, the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex, that's, that's it's no joke. It's a moneymaker. And that's why drugs keep flowing because you make money letting them in and not letting them in. You make money when Johnny goes out to war and you make money on the medication and the machines when they come back. And so everyone has credit debt because they need a, a freaking flat screen TV. We've been perfectly set up to be consumerist suckers. We are lambs feeding ourselves willfully going to slaughter. And that's the age of eventuality. And that's how a guy like Trump can get elected. I'm older than probably all of you. My mom was a political operative. I come from Washington, D.C. To the left of my mom is Joan Baez in a wall. But back, in, back when she was young, Nixon, Watergate era, she had friends who were left wing and right wing. They would all get together at her apartment on the weekends, martinis, gin and tonics, and political debate, roaring with laughter until one in the morning. You damn communist, you fascist, ha, 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 see you next Friday. Love each other. You could talk back and forth. Now, you can't. And that's when Congress actually worked because everyone was educated. And you had an educated elector like, I voted for Nixon, he's got to go. He's a bad man, but you voted for him. That's gone because at least since Reagan, we've had a willful dumbing down of the electorate, which Jefferson warned us against. Like, here's how you get taken over by your own people. You dumb down the electorate. And that's the only way a guy like Trump can get elected when a lot of people, and when you say we're up against the stupid and ignorant people, I'm not trying to disagree with you. You're up against a lot of people who are working one point something jobs. How come you don't read? Read? I don't have time to eat. I'm up at 03.30, three kids, an upside-down house, a crap car, a crap job, and my wife is working at a coffee place, and she's cleaning houses, and my kid has ADD and needs special care. Read? Read? Screw you and your books. I can't even afford my kids' books. Right. And, and so this country is, that's how in crisis, the strong voice, no matter what it's saying, gets heard. Like, I can fix it, and Mexico will build the wall. A lot of people want... Hell yeah, man, do it. And here we are. So we're in this age of eventuality. So the enemies are myriad. And I don't want to call, I don't use the word deplorable to describe an American. I, they're just, they don't have the right intel. 
And some people, yeah. you're never going to get them the right intel. Like my father, who's a PhD and a fantastic racist, a tremendous misogynist, and an outstanding <laughs> uh, homophobe. Um, he's, he's, but he's a PhD. He should know better. Um, is whatever he thinks of global warming, I don't know. I don't know where he lives. Um, but you can't shake him because he knows what he knows, and that's it. So there's a lot of Americans you're not going to be able to get to. And so the idea of we... Um, we are not going to make it, but you're going to make it and you can influence your friends. But we, we are kind of done. And that's, and so democracy isn't broken. It's kind of working like your slave owning lawyer founders built it to work. Hmm. Professor Henry Rollins, ladies and gentlemen. And I say that with, with utmost respect. No, because you have been... So when I say fighting the forces of ignorance and stupidity, I mean the, the, the actuality no, of it. You're not right. The, not the but I'm people. just saying when it comes down no, to a no, person, you're, you're right. they need help more than I, being taunted. I think we're going to be in heated agreement a lot, Henry. Um, but, but I think what you're bringing is, is a voice that's piercing through it. That little exchange, that, that answer is what I hope people who are listening at home or here in, in the Hotel Cafe go back and listen to three times because you were moving so fast through so many things with such precision and such expertise that that's what I have not seen anyone do like you. And, and it's, that's why so many people follow you and want to hear you and want to see what you're thinking because you're able to break it down in a way where it sounds like music. Well, I have you to know, break it down for myself. I'm a yeah. high school graduate. Yeah. Who's high on Ritalin for the entirety of high school. <laughs> but let's, let's talk. So I have to ask you a question, Henry. A question I ask of all our guests on Angry American. Um, what is your drink of choice? Well, I That's got a, a, my glass of water here. But uh, coffee is also good. And, and do you not drink alcohol? Or I don't do drink alcohol. My party line is, uh, and it's fairly true. Uh, I got drunk four times during the Carter administration. I just never liked it. I drank because my schoolmates drank or, you know, tried it out. I wanted to hang out and be part of the thing. And, like, you know, three Michelobes later, you know, I always puked. And I just didn't like the feeling of, like, I can't walk, I can't ride my skateboard, and I just said something really stupid, which is easy for me anyway. And so, but alcohol, like, don't help him. Cause, <laughs> and, and so it was never... And the, the, the neighborhood I was raised in, like Ian Mackay of Fugazi and Minor Threat, we've been best friends since we were 12. Ian has never even looked at a drink or smoked anything. He's never been high except on life and rock and roll, man. <laughs> and we just, we don't, during the summer vacation, we had a skate ramp. We're up at 7 a.m. on a Wednesday to get more skate time in. We're like, want to get high? High? So what, you can't walk? We want to skate. We want to be on our bikes. I got a job at, in two hours I got to go run to. I'm doing my minimum wage hustle. I can't be high. I'm just simply not interested. And then I came out here and joined Black Flag, and I thought I understood hard work. And then I get in with Greg Ginn and Chuck Tukowski and you learn what hard work is. I was like, oh, this is going to hurt because they were so hardworking. There is no time to not know where your keys are. <laughs> and as a guy pushing, I'm leaning on 60 so hard as saying, Al, get off me. Um, and everything hurts. I'm so high on ibuprofen right now. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't have time because I, I do a seven-day week like most of you do, just trying to do stuff. And so any stimulant... I don't even know if I feel coffee. I'm kind of like this. I haven't had coffee for like 20 hours. I'm kind of like this anyway. I don't even know if coffee helps or anything. And so any downer 
me being the kind of person who's kind of always depressed anyway. Um, anything that helps that, I would go a thousand miles to get away from. You, I think, just in part described what I think is your superpower. This, this unique Henry Rollins energy, insight, productivity, um, volume of thoughtful content. But I can give you the mind. ingredients of the sausage of the superpower, if you like. Please. Yeah. What are the ingredients of the sausage you of the Henry it. Rollins superpower? I got nothing else going on. That's it. <laughs> I just work. I come up with these ideas and I'm like, wow, I got the whole weekend. My phone's not ringing. Well, I guess I better start writing this thing. And I spent a lot of time in economy going really far distances. We were like, wow, I can't feel my legs. And like, we're still on the Pacific. Sydney is nine hours away. Well, then I'll just come up with how to fix America. And I just come and I just sit, because ideas are fun. No one has to get hurt. And you can just go, and they just go away. And so I like, well, how can I fix that? Like, how can you fix the Constitution? Well, what if you treat the Constitution like the Old Testament? And you make a New Testament that addresses semi-automatic rifles and, 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 and. And so you make the Constitution V2. That's what I come up with in 32J back with the dogs in the mail and students going to Holland for the first time. And I'm back there with them like brain. And so, I, and I talk for a living on stage. I'm always trying to find something I can bring to an audience outside of America. Like how can we homo sapiens get somewhere in, a, in an age of like, you know, people moving like Syrians in France and everyone's moving around because governments are falling over and global climate change is really dictating human movement now. And so um, I, I just devote my time to that because I, I, I don't, drink. I don't hang out. I don't socialize. I'm not antisocial. I don't hate people. Quite the opposite. I just, on a Friday night, hey, come to a party. Are you kidding? With people? I, I just don't know what to do. So I'll just go hole up and work like an idiot till Sunday night. Like, I just, I just ate my weekend again. I always come to it like 8 p.m. on Sunday, like, damn, it's mo Monday's tomorrow. And I didn't do anything but stare at this damn screen and clack away or whatever. You're, you're very humble about it, but that's also genius. I've met geniuses. There's nothing like me. I'm just, I'm just desperate. I just, <laughs> I just, I'm really trying to do stuff. I expected you to answer in that way, Henry, but I, but I also am, am continuously impressed by, you know, you, you see the world. Literally, you're on that economy flight. I've gotten emails from you from all over part of the, yeah, the world. about 100 you, countries. You have a very high sense of understanding of what's happening in the world. I, That's part of your genius, well, I think, is the empathy I, and the understanding and I being able to... It. It's not one of those things where I sit and meditate about it. I'm too hyper for that. Like, I watch a documentary. It's a brochure. But you're not, you all have traveled. You, like when something goes, well, here's what Africa's like. Eh, I'll go find the continent on my own. Well, this documentary, documentary makes me want to go see something. And if you've ever endured any of my talking shows, you've never heard me say, well, I read this book and I, I, if I talk about any country, it's like, well, when I was in Islamabad, here's what happened. Right. And I have that story. It's insane. I was there when Benazir Bhutto was assassinated right in the middle of it. And like they closed the airport. I'm like, I'm here for a week. Because I'm not going anywhere. So I just went where the smoke was and just watched riots. And so... And hold on, stay there if you can. Yeah. What, what else do we need to know about that experience? Henry? I still got all 10 fingers. That's what you need to know. What, what I what I was in the midst of, you know, people freaking out because Bhutto was assassinated. Right. Uh, people, older men, on the day after, there's no women on the street till sundown. I, I, 
I don't know the politic of that. So it's men and boys lighting things on fire, prayers in the streets, uh, and me is walking around. And men were like, my friend, are you lost? I'm like, oh, no, I'm at that hotel up there. Uh, why Are you a journalist? No. Diplomat? No. Why are you here? I said in my joke, when people ask me that, I go, I'm here to meet you. My name's Henry. It always gets a laugh. And I've used that from here to Tehran, and it always breaks the ice. And I'm, I'm here to meet you, man. And I, my crazy timing. I just got here, and this happened the next evening. And um, they're like, well, I'm sorry you had to see our country like this. I said, I, I hope you get past this. And so everywhere I've been, like Syria, Lebanon, wherever, people are, they, they're like, are you, are you, because I'm almost wandering around. And I go, no, no, I, I paid a lot of money for the visa to be here. I, I want to be here. I'm not lost. Well, I don't know where I am, but um, I'm, I'm here on purpose. And they're like, wow, thanks for being curious. Like when I was in Iran, people speak English better than at least half of, of Congress. But uh, <laughs> but uh, people are saying, thanks for not judging us. Thanks for being curious. And they go, Who, where's your backup? I'm, I'm alone. They're like, because I'm, I'm not a tough guy in any way at all. But I'm just curious, and I reckon sincerity and curiosity will get you into trouble, certainly. But it might get you out of it as well. Like, you don't want to walk down that street, I'm telling you, because you look kind of wide-eyed. And like streets of Cairo at night, you got to really watch it. And I, I, I've been down a lot of them. And so um, I let my curiosity and my quest for a human truth be my guide. And that's led me to North Korea, uh, all over the Middle East, Central Asia, you know, wherever, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, a horse, a bite, it starts as beef, chew, chew, go south to some. You're like, never again. Swallow it. There's guests. I uh, have more. I'm like, no. <laughs> and so I just go to these places. And so far, I'm okay. I'm, I'm gearing up for my second trip to the Antarctic Peninsula in November. I was there a few years ago. But this time, I'm going to start the Falkland Islands and take the longer trip through Ushuaia, Drake Passage, to the edge of the Antarctic Peninsula, just to see how it's changed since I've been there last time. I've had this image of you doing some variation of that when I've gotten emails from you over the last decade and a half from different points of the world. Yeah. But to hear you describe it is 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 fantastic um, because I had an idea in my mind, Henry, that it was that pure. But to hear you describe it and understand that and the fact that you're not taping it, you're not tweeting from there you're absorbing it and processing it yeah and then commu communicating writing it um yeah. but your journey started back in dc yeah and i want to ask you a question i ask of all of our guests and all of our guests i describe as important inspiring and or iconic and i think you are all three and then some but you started out in dc henry rollins what was your first car uh, 1968 VW Fastback with a dent in the hood from where a mace canister bounced off it when my mom was stopped in a riot on the way home. And I graduated from high school in 1879. And my mom said, you know, I'm getting married. My new husband's going to have a car. Why don't you take this one? I'm like, well, yeah, thanks. And it still works. a pretty tough car, VW. And later... Uh, within a few weeks when I became homeless, it, it became my home where the UK sub song, I live in a car became my personal anthem at a minute and 31 seconds. And I'd sleep in the fetal position in the back of my VW fastback until I finally found an apartment to live in. And so that was my first car. 
And what and color was it? Blue. What and it was my mom. Blue? It was what, my mom's uh, VW. What kind of blue, Henry? It was uh, kind of a royal blue. It was very nice, and it it never broke down. It was a pretty damn dependable car. And it got in a car accident. Someone rammed my mom. They ran, they ran a stop sign and they fixed it. And then I had it. And as you know, having your car is a, the most amazing freedom injection. You're like, I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts because I can. <laughs> and Ian had his car and like suddenly gigs are in New York are open to us because these bands wouldn't come to DC, all these can, cool can British I, can bands. I, can I ask you to stop there for a second? Because yeah. part of what I hope this conversation does is introduce you to some new folks and a new generation. Um, my dear friend Shad Mishad is here today for this live event, and he's a legendary Vietnam veteran activist. Um, and I often feel like I need to reintroduce who are kind of the elders of, of my community, of the veterans community, people like Max Cleland and Wayne Smith and Bobby Muller and Shad Mishad, uh, folks who aren't students of social movements or weren't living in that time, I don't know if they fully appreciate the importance of those leaders and others. And, and I want a chance to kind of reintroduce you to maybe a younger generation, maybe folks who haven't tracked on you. But your origin story is important. How you got from mom's VW to this place you're at now and that crossover into Black Flag and so many other things. For people who don't know the story, how do you want them to know it? Well, the, the, to know the truth. I was a poor student who barely scraped out of high school. Math just befuddled me. I liked English. That was okay. But history was never taught to me by, with any great enthusiasm. I became a fan later. And so I barely got out of high school. I, I'm not that smart. I went right in meaningfully into the minimum wage working world, like as, as you do when you're young, 60 hours a week, you know, whatever you're doing. Having already known it, from high school because I had three jobs all the time because I liked working. So I, I was working at an ice cream store, Haagen-Dazs. Black Flag became my favorite band. I just saw them in New York one time and I was like, that's that's what I want to do. I want to be that one. I want that guy's job. Um, a few months after that, the band came back to the East Coast, didn't play Washington, but played New York. So I take the VW and I take a day off work and I jam up there and I see the band play. I kind of knew them at that point. So I scammed in on the guest list help them load out of the Irving Plaza into a smaller club. It's like second and A and help them load in, watch the guy get stabbed. Uh, I think it was John Joseph of the Cro-Mags and I humping black flag gear and like, that's the stabbing. It's the East Village, man. And so yeah. we loaded in and I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, I gotta be at work in like seven hours. I gotta jam back to work, take a shower in the work sink, put on a, a fresh shirt and scoop ice cream. So I said to Des, the singer, I said, can I, can I request a song? They're playing a tiny club, about this big. Uh, a song called Clocked In, because it's about going to work. And Des says, hey, this is for Henry, because he's he's got to go to work. And then Des went, you see, this handed the mic. I hopped up on stage. I kind of knew the song. And I remember the band members kind of going, oh, Henry's going to sing. It's, it's a party. Go ahead. I sang it the way I thought a Black Flag should song should be done. Like, lungs come out. People cringe in fear. And, like, you know, head explodes. I gave the mic back 90 seconds later. And everyone kind of went, uh, even a New York audience was like, ah. And I, I, I'll never forget the members of Black Flag looking at me going like, huh, that was, we're awake now. And I got, it, I got in my car thinking I was in Black Flag for 90 seconds, my whole stinking life of like failure after humiliated failure for 90 seconds. I was where I really want to be. The next day, the phone at Haagen-Dazs rings, which never happens unless it's the boss. 
And it was a member of Black Flag saying, hey, we're still in New York, we're holding auditions, because Des, the great singer, wants to move to rhythm guitar. Would you like to come up and audition? Because we liked what you did the other night. I'm not a person imbued with courage. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm nervous. But I realized I'm, I'm 20. This is never coming my way again. Jobs like this are a dime a dozen. So I worked all of them in Northwest DC. I could spend enough time here to where Bruce Springsteen's going to come in and do a three-album concept record about me at this job. <laughs> He's working, and <laughs> and I'll. I'll be living in the car again, or I can go up there and make a fool of myself with my favorite band. So I, I took a train up to, to New York audition, which was, here's the mic, here's the band. I don't know any of the songs. They hadn't made many records yet. We're going to play the set twice. You do the best you can. So I yelped and hollered for 90 minutes, and they said, we're going to have a band meeting. You go to the lobby of the practice place. I figured it'd be like hours as they discuss and bring out the skull and the candle. And <laughs> they came out like a minute and a half later, you're in. And I said, in what? They said, in Black Flag. I said, who? You? Me? Yeah. Doing what? Their singer. Who? You? Me? It just went around and around. Because <laughs> I still have like an ice cream scoop in my hand, in my mind. And I said, so what's going to happen? And one of them said, you're going to go back to D.C. and you're going to hug your little mommy goodbye. You're going <laughs> to quit your job, pack a duffel bag. Here's the tour itinerary and you meet us as soon as you can. I go, for what? Because they go, do you want this or not? I went, yeah, yeah. And then I think the, one of the road crew guys said, yeah, because we need to make the first ever Black Flag album, which got made up the street from here. And I, I said, so who's on that? They're like, what part of this are you not <laughs> comprehending? And I wasn't articulate enough at the time to say, oh, excuse me, I've been working for 375 an hour listening to Frampton Comes Alive on the radio, and now I'm, I'm, now I'm in Black Flag. Yes, that was, that was it. I was handed this insane folder of lyrics, which I clutched on the Amtrak back, and I told my boss, who's still my pal to this day, and I said, hey, Steve, I'm leaving. I was running his store. And I don't steal, so I was, you know, making the deposit at night. And he, he goes, I'll give you $4 an hour. Like, and I said, no, thank you. He helped me get my first apartment. Like, he, he stood up for me. We're still pals. Anyway, I said, no, sir. I, I explained. I said, this is, he goes, you know what? You got to do this. I get it. It's not going to work out. So when you come back in two weeks, you can have your job back. I said, thank you, because you never know. So I called Ian, and I said, so what do you think? And, you know, he's... He's the, he said, are you kidding? They're lucky to have you. This is going to be great. Get ready. I'm taking you to the Greyhound station. I still have the ticket. And I went overnight, unable to sleep. I got dropped off at the bus station. I took a taxi to Clutch Cargos, I think. It's a venue. And I walk in with my duffel bag. I beat the band there. They're driving from somewhere else. It's like the afternoon. And the woman behind the bar, hello, would you like something to drink? And I said, yeah, I'm in the band. It was the first time I, I said, I'm in Black Flag. It's the first time I said that as a declarative statement. And she said, okay, what would you like to drink? I said, I'll have a Coke, please. And I got the Coke with like, it's like syrup with an ice cube at the top. And I sat at this bar with this awful bubble-free Coke going like, free drinks? Like, <laughs> and then, you know, the whole thing. And then weeks later, I'm out here 
And months later, I'm up the street where the Trader Joe's is now on Santa Monica, west of La Cienega. That was a different building. And that's where damage was made in November, October, November 1981. And around the corner, Funhouse was made by the Stooges at Electra. And so it's a rock and roll intersection. But I, I came out here at, at age 20, 150 pounds, completely out of fish out of water. So I'd walk to that 7-Eleven on La Cienega because I had 25 cents for a Three Musketeers bar because they're big. And there's boys my age in hot pants, rent boys. And I'm like, whoa, like, wow, that's not where I come from. And I, I was introduced to a whole new world of, what's that, heroin? You're, you're doing heroin? Like, I, am I in a movie? And you met people who sold their bodies just to get by? You know, you, I met some really intense people my own age runaway 15-year-olds, like, go home. I can't go home. Why? They tell you a story about abuse. Right. And suddenly you're getting a whole inoculation or an injection of a, a different kind of America than my blinding white Sears and Roebuck underwear and endless supply of SpaghettiOs and private school informed me. And so I came out here completely soft and like, ah, and within a year, I, you know, this city in that era would do it to you as far as getting grown up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but thank you. Thank you for the, sharing from, that, from Henry, the, because I want to, I want to, I want to tell you that I think that what world. you, that is, if Henry Rollins is a superhero, okay, that's the Henry Rollins origin story when you got kind of recruited by the X-Men to go on another level. I mean, this is a story that's about you. It's about punk rock. It's about socioeconomic times it's about class it's about cities your story is in part the great american dream like they're, of, they're, yeah. they're, they're 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 generations of americans come here work your ass off hope for that moment and and it can happen it's what and it's supposed so, to be about can i can i ask you henry did you know in that moment that your entire life and the trajectory of your experience was going to change forever yes I realized I was taking a hell of a risk and I, I, I didn't fear death. I'm not, a, I just didn't think I was going to die out here. Well, a couple of times, but I just knew that I'm changing my life. I gave away all my stuff, my records, my little punk rock collection lived at discord Ian's place until like five years ago. He finally said, we're shipping your 2045s back to you now that you kind of live in LA for the last three decades. And, and he actually boxed up the shelf they were in, which I've had since age six, a Sears and Roebuck prefab shelf. He shipped that out too. Anyway, um, I realized coming out here, I'm, I'm on the other coast. I'm in, I'm living on the floor of an office, sleeping on my, with my shoes as a pillow and a trench coat as a blanket, wondering where breakfast is coming from. I, it was a huge life change. And August 21st of that year, I'm on stage at the Cuckoo's Nest, my first ever full-fledged gig as the singer. And it was a really intense five years of being in this sustained moment because Black Flag, you didn't sleep. You just were in that band. And then immediately into my solo thing. But in the middle of that time, started doing talking shows, started writing like for Spin Magazine and writing my own little fold and staple books and realizing a different part of me that I could tap into. Uh, I started writing out of loneliness. Um, you're on the road, you're gonna play some tough bar. You have all day to hang out. I bought a notebook and said, I just watched a cocaine deal go down and I just saw this and there's two undercover cops who are here because this is my life. That turned into a book called Get in the Van. 
But my journal was like someone to listen to me whine about, you know, I'm lonely, I'm hungry, I, my, my feet hurt, whatever. And it turned into a book company, which I own and still operates, and a staff, and, and, and. And I just learned that I'm out here far away from home. I have to learn to say yes to things. Uh, summer 1984, I was 23. I'm surrounded by amazing talent. Bad Brains, Who's Could Do, Minor Threat. All my friends are talented. Miniman, Saccharin Trust. Everyone around me is incredible. Big Boys, The Dicks, all these great Texas bands. I'm the one guy who can't play an instrument. Between tours, amazing musicians. What do you do between tours? Um, waiter, live with mom. I'm like, okay, I can't even I can't even pick up a guitar, much less play one. What am I gonna do? I better come up with plans B, C, D, E, F, and G, or I'm gonna starve to death because music is gonna keep me broke. And so I'll pursue the writing thing. And then someone said, hey, you wanna try a voiceover? What is that? Yes, uh, what is it? In 88, I was living in Silver Lake on Maltman and Crispin Glover was over at my place. And he said, Henry, you should consider acting. <laughs> And I said, why? I'm trying to do this whole independent music thing. It keeps me very occupied. He said, because basically in his own polite way, he said, because you're nuts. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll give it a shot if, it, you know, if I ever get an offer. Like within six weeks, UCLA was doing a student film. They said, hey, we have a role for a lunatic. Why don't you show up? And that, so that turned into another film and another film and another film. Like, hey, you're, you're interested in stuff. You want to host a documentary? Yeah, and that ended up National Geographic History Channel, uh, animated voiceover, commercial voiceover, et cetera, and, 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 and. And so it's just saying yes to things, being as prepared as you can be but with curiosity and kind of figuring out acting's a banjo. I come from guitar, emote, be present, disciplined, focused, sneak into some movie and suddenly you're doing scenes with Al Pacino, and that happened to me. Hey, Mr. Pacino, call me Al, call me Al. And so I have many experiences where I'm like, whoa, because I'm still the guy in the ice cream store in my head. I drive a Mazda 6 and I try and keep it real. And so that's how I keep myself going. I don't, I don't trip on myself. I'm interested in everything but me. Mm. And everything is important but me. When you take yourself seriously, you, 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 you've been around those people. Yeah. They're unendurable. <laughs> but everything else yeah. you take seriously. I was going to ask you what your advice would be for yourself or for someone who's going through the grind right now. But it was packed into that. And that, that's part of what I love about hearing you speak is it is an articulation of many things, but it's also life lessons. And you have extremely powerful life lessons that have guided you. And, and I mentioned to you before we came up here that you're kind of like a samurai. Like you, you have this very different discipline, which is very, very important. And part of why I think we have connected at times. Like I told the crew, I was like, Henry's going to be here on time. Henry's going to be here fucking early. We got to be ready. In the military, if you're on time, you're late. Henry is early every time and he's standing there and he's ready to fucking go. I put the punk in punctual. <laughs> hey, now! <laughs> I had a whole team of writers do that for me. <laughs> but you do it with an incredible, you do it with an incredible energy and you do it with so much depth and complexity and dynamism and speed and rhythm. Um, and, and it's inspiring. But when I conceived of this show, Angry Americans, I put together my guest list, uh, dream guest list. And you were in the top five, like you were among the top three, probably. I was like, Henry, if I can get Henry, he will understand this 
and he will understand that anger is a real thing and and if you channel it you can channel it into positive places in some ways that, if we that, were, that's the important right and we were going to you know i was going to say george washington was an angry american you know martin luther king was an angry american harvey milk was an angry american you know what it's natural to be angry it is an emotional response to what you are experiencing what you choose to do with it yeah. And, and how we well, everything. and how we talk about it yeah. is essential, especially in an environment where we have a president that manipulates it and co-ops it and channels it into negativity. But at at its core, I think you understand how to ride the lightning of anger in a very unique way. Well, so, your anger at some so point. Let me let me ask you, Henry. Yeah. Straight up, Henry Rollins. What makes you angry? Injustice. That's like as far as a single word, injustice. A woman goes to work and like her boss is like, you know, hey, good to see you. You do that to a man. We men, we don't understand that kind of harassment because it doesn't happen to men like it happens to pretty much every woman I've ever met has some story. And I'm not saying some story, like a, a story. We're like, yeah. And like, and the woman has to be like, great, I got to go to my desk now when I should be ripping your head off. And that's the kind of, that's like to be, it's a huge umbrella. And there's a lot of things under the injustice umbrella. Everything from Bill and Tom can't get married because this person won't sign the thing. Lady, you're a clerk. You sign the document and let these two people go have their crazy short life together. They're not honeymooning at your place. Just get a life. And it's that kind of injustice you see anywhere in the world there's humans it's not an American thing. It's a homo sapiens thing. And that's why I say we're not, we're not seeing the end of war in this lifetime. It's just too much of a moneymaker. You and I, we, this kind of we can tell our friends we can't, we had a protest against it. At some point, your anger must turn into compassion. Like, that's why I don't use the word deplorable. You know, there's a lot of people I disagree with in this country. A lot of people in office I disagree with. What's happening now? I just, nothing but disagreement. But there's, uh, you, you drill down deep enough and there's, a, there's, there's some humanity in there. And I've been lucky to hear so many people tell me their stories. Uh, I've done a lot of work with like Make-A-Wish. I'm hanging out with a 15-year-old kid who's going to die. And he wanted to meet me, and I, I'm sitting in his hospital room with him, and he's like, man, you ever meet the Beastie Boys? I'm like, yeah. You want a Beastie Boys story? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And like, I got him. I got you know, all kinds of stories like that. I'm sitting with a kid. There's so much stuff he's never going to do, you know? And like, when, whenever I think of, like, oh, there's someone who's pissing me off, I think of that kid. There's, um, there's a person right now who is in a very bad way with their health who I'm writing a daily letter to. And um, just because we don't know how long. And so I write a daily letter. I put in pictures like, you know, here's a photo of the apartment I lived in and I'm going to write you tomorrow. So, you know, rest comfortably. And this is at some point your anger has to, it can't turn into, I'm taking a gun to the rally. It can't turn into, here's these knuckleheads I don't like. Well, I'm bringing some pain they're not going to believe because you're not going to change their minds, even with logic, but you're not going to change it with a baseball bat. You will go to jail. It is assault. You can't afford the lawyer. And there has to be a better way forward. I have heard stories, you know, from USO tours. I've heard stories from 
moms who come to my gigs and after the show, they, I didn't go to the show. I don't know who you are, but my son had all your DVDs and they got sent home with his stuff after he was killed. So I just want to thank you because you meant something to him. And you're like, you're hugging some mom. And this has happened to me a lot. Like my brother, yeah. he and I used to come see you, man. And like, he's gone, but here's his bracelet. I want you to have it. You're like, okay, I got rings, all this stuff. And yeah. so my compassion and, and space and level of Buddha-like patience yeah. for the human state. When I was young, I had no time. Oh, you know, screw the lot of you. I'm young and hard-headed. As I've gotten older and you see how people live in what is now South Sudan. Like, where's your roads? We don't have any. Drive in the ravine. Where's your water? It's the thing with all the bugs in it. You're going to feed that to your kid? Sure. And I, I'll i be in Uganda in a couple of months back again uh, with an NGO I work with. Um, and you see stuff, and you're like, okay, my heart goes out to every person there is. <laughs> like, he's in the clan. Yeah. He needs a P-Funk record. He's one beat away from going, oh, what was I thinking? This doesn't fit anyway. <laughs> so, and, and, and so that's what travel and hearing stories that have been said to me from people all over, you know, like people like hanging out at your show all afternoon because they got nowhere else to go. So you hang out with a guy who's missing four teeth because the cops beat the the daylights out of them. And at this point, you know, you, you want to hug trees and everything else <laughs> because everyone's got some pain in them and you got to, if you're going to, you got to help a little, even if it's just letting someone cut in front of you in traffic because they got in the wrong lane. Yeah. Hopefully they'll do it for you when you screw up by the Beverly center. That's that inter It sucks yeah. that intersection. And you're <laughs> so Henry, you're helping a lot of people. And that's another reason I wanted to well, talk they help to you. me. Yeah. They help me understand. But, so. but you are helping so many people and touching so many people. And, you know, if someone was going to Google you and they could find an image of you from Black Flag and I, and I told them that's one of the kindest people I know, they might be surprised. But you are kind and you Working care and you are able to, to balance a lot under extreme pressure and, and high demands throughout your career. But you've always had an understanding of people's pain. And I developed it. Yeah. When I was younger, you know, I'm, you know, I was 20, uh, incredibly insecure. That much hasn't changed probably. And I didn't, you know, I don't want to hear about it. But then you, you hear enough stories and you get a little older, a little wiser. You see more of the, the physical world. Like in rock and roll allowed me to go to, hey, Australia, Japan, Europe. But me wanting to see the world got me to the African continent, the Middle East, Central Asia, Southeast Asia, wherever else. And you hear stories... You know, you walk in South Sudan, your bullet casings everywhere, T-shirts right. of dead soldiers coming out of cornfields. You're like, wow. And the stories from all of that. And so you earn, for me, it's been a learning experience, like chin-ups. Like, I got to yeah. get more, because I see the truth. I can't handle it yet. Now, that guy sucks. No, no, he's got faulty intel or someone got to him. That's the that's the hard pull up because you got to earn that last three inches to get your chin to the bar because that guy sucks, but you got to find a way to see yourself and see through it. And that's, that's for me was a hell of a struggle. Some people, they walk right into it and they just have that understanding. Me, it was like carrying a pack up sheer vertical, but I got uh, there. 
Well, you did. I'm on my way. You're, yeah, you may want to get even higher, but you're pretty high, you know, relative to the rest of well, humanity. It's a journey. And always. always. You're never, it's like, you, I, I want to ask you, though, because your, your leadership role is something that I feel like those of you who have been in your network, who have read it, go to your shows, they understand how you are, in many ways, for our country, a, a modern thought leader. That's how I would describe you in many ways, because it trans, you, are, you are looking at our society, you're looking at our culture, you're looking at our politics, and you're not afraid to talk about our leaders. So I cannot have you on this show without asking you, what do you think about Trump? And what do you think about this moment in time for America, given that perch that you do have that is unique, and this depth of experience and this depth of understanding? Well, as I said before, he's eventual. Uh, there'd be a guy or a guy like him, you know, fake car salesman, just a, a huckster. And I watched him during the campaign. I watched Hillary not connect with audiences. And, you know, I, I thought she would have been a great president. But she's cold. Uh, she not mean, but like she's scholarly and really smart. And she can't break it down. And I talk to people for a living. I'm like, you're not getting any laughs. No one, no one's grooving with you. You know, you're not. You're not penetrating. You're not being, you're not allowing to be saturated. You're not stirring it up. Trump is getting laughs. I've watched his speeches too. And I'm like, wow, okay, that was when you got, I forget what politician, Lindsey Graham, like, here's his number. I got, that's funny. Where he gave it to his private number to the press corps. I'm like, that's kind of hilarious. But you're bad news. And so I think he's what you get when you have a bunch of people who are pissed off because their government has failed them, their government has you know killed their crops, killed their son, uh, screwed up their health care, whatever else you want to. There's uh, so many things on that list, and one guy comes in and says, "Washington sucks." He's basically punk rock. I'm going to come in there and wreck the joint because they're a bunch of stiffs, and I I got you, I got it. And they were they went finally, my man, because like the 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 professor over here, eh, but you, you know, and. A guy like that gets in. A guy like that, Paul, gets eight years. And not, in, not, in, not at Rikers. <laughs> and so I'm very afraid of the Democrats never losing an opportunity, to never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And so I, I, I worry about another four years because you see now that he's been emancipated from being removed from office just yeah. in the last 10 days. He's like a guy who's like literally drunk on power. Like right. this quid pro quo with you stand down the court cases and I'll give you your truckers entry passes like in broad daylight. That's how bold this guy is. And so it's a, it's in a way it's a time to frown, but it's also a time to take the frown and play jujitsu and flip it into a smile. This is where your words and your deeds matter more than ever. Um, your your the fact that you will not tolerate homophobia or racism or misogyny that you can rub off on your friends that you can help divorce your friends from their remaining prejudices that you, you can be influential in that way in the face of this that you can get to your weird uncle who spouts this stuff at thanksgiving by showing him something or introducing him to someone um so now your words and your actions mean more than ever because it's not we it's going to be individuals going like not on my watch and not picking up a rock but picking up an idea and taking some time to lift like lincoln wanted all the boats being lifted by the same tide and and so that's what it's time for it's time for citizen heroics not violence like seeing it really pulling back and getting the big the the wide shot going okay 
here's and the fact that Congress and the Senate lets him do this stuff, I'm madder at them than I am at Trump. Like no, none of you were surprised what Trump did. You knew that guy before he showed up. Right. He's just doing his thing. In a way, he's kind of the cleanest guy in the whole damn thing. He's just being him. It's like a serial killer. He killed someone. Oh, what do you think he's going to do? And he told you he was going to do he it. Told he told you. you on the campaign he was going to do it. Yeah. He told you exactly what he was going to do. And, on that and the question level, is, how much of it can he actually get done? Well, how much of it can he fulfill with a... Com well, yeah. with guys like Barr around? So let me ask you to take that a step a step further, Henry. We, you mentioned jail. You know, now some of his accomplices are going to jail. We're in the hotel cafe. And, and for folks that don't know, this is a music venue founded, I believe, in, in 2000. But uh, around turn of the century... This was a jail. <laughs> we are in a block that was a jail, and there was a fire station nearby. And I think that's kind of fitting because we've we've got some going to jail, and we need firefighters to try to figure out how to contain this fire, potentially put it out, or move it in a different direction. When when you look at the landscape of candidates, Henry, what yeah. do you think? Because you have this very unique understanding. What your breakdown of Hillary and, and Trump is 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 very very. Powerful yeah. and very unique, and, and very she would on. have been good, but yeah. she couldn't sell it. But evaluate the rest. Of the, now we're coming out of New Hampshire, we're coming out of Iowa, we're going into more primary. Now it's getting real. It looks like some candidates are starting to emerge, and the pack is separating. What do you think of the field? Well, I just Trump intimidates me, just because I I I think any one of them would be better than Trump. I've never thought this before in my life. I think I would be better than Trump. <laughs> No I doubt. Think, no I doubt. Think, I think. No doubt. No doubt. Well, no doubt. But 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 please yeah. let, let me finish. Rollins for I, president. I, I, I think any of you would be better than Trump, and, and we haven't spent time in a submarine. I don't know how you voulez-vous, but I'm just saying I've never watched an American president who went really. You just dissed Angela Merkel. You let me in, Coach. Like I, I got this. I can at least get this thing to lunch. Uh, I've you know, and I'm you know, no bright uh, light. But you watch this guy like. This is so embarrassing. Like, yeah, how do you, I, I mentioned this in the last how do you, how do you fuck president. up traumatic brain injury? And then how do you double down on your fuck up on traumatic brain injury? You talked about it earlier. Well, because you, you, you understood, you and I understood Ultimately, traumatic brain injury care. in 2004. Yeah. And now, almost 20 years later, he does not care. And, and, he, and he not only doesn't care, he's so drunk on power that he's okay with doubling down on it and saying, not only did I did I dismiss traumatic brain injury, he didn't diminish it. He dismissed it. Yeah, he I said traumatic so. brain injury is a headache. And then he went a step further and said, yeah, you know, I, I believe in what I said and I'm not taking it back. But when you look at these guys and gals, right? Yeah. Now now it's emerged. You got, you know, Buttigieg and, and Warren and Klobuchar and Bloomberg maybe on, on the more moderate side. And then you've got Bernie Sanders coming out of New Hampshire with a head of steam and Elizabeth Warren still around. I mean, what, what do you see among those candidates? What I see is how do I take any one of these very good people and sell them to the Midwest and the South? How do I flip Kentucky, Mississippi, Florida? How do I get Texas to come my way? How do I get these states, Ohio, Indiana? I can't go in with a gay guy because homophobia is a thing in this country. Can I go in with a woman? Well, what, what trumps, uh, I hate that word, what, um, what outdoes as far as bigotry, uh, homophobia, misogyny? Like misogyny, like people hate women, uh, not you, not us, but it's a thing where I don't care if he's black, but that's a woman and she can't tell me what to do. And you'll have women saying that, like, wow, wow. And so it's hard to sell a woman. 
And it's hard to sell a gay person. And I think all of the women running and all of the gay people running for president this time around are really exceptional. I love Buttigieg's Rhodes Scholar calm frame of mind. I think that would be great internationally, which ultimately is what your president is, your international calling card. I think he would get along with Europe and repair. I think he would get along uh, and not be fooled by Russia. I think he'd be very Obama-esque with Putin. Instead of like, come on over, buddy, he'd be doing chess. Putin's not that smart, and his country's broke. He's more desperate than, I think, uh, you read Rachel's book, you'll learn all about it. Um, so, And Elizabeth Warren, what do you, what do you think? I've of? always loved Elizabeth Warren since I saw her in that documentary, Maxed Out, about credit debt when she was just a professor. I said, she's amazing. Right. And so I like her. I just don't know how you sell these people to angry, scared people who are looking at their 401k. So you, you do have a very powerful understanding. You've been to every corner of this country. Pretty much. And, yeah. and you do know America in a, in a way that few people do. So the candidates we didn't mention, can you sell a democratic socialist in Bernie Sanders? And, you know, Bernie, I, I really like. Uh, and I think he's right about everything. He's a fair man. I just think when you say socialist in a country, he's a socialist. Define socialism. Well, it's a, uh, and that's how you get beat up because the guy can't, def, he can't define it. But he knows he's against it. He knows, exactly. Like, and so they, they love ACA, but they hate Obamacare. Right. Uh, right. And so I don't know how you sell Bernie in the, the aforementioned states I mentioned as much as I like so it. So that leaves us left with, you know, Klobuchar, uh, Biden, and Bloomberg. I think Biden is dead in the water. I think he did. He just did what he's done every time he runs. He goes, he goes, he goes, and then everyone just goes like, and they go elsewhere. I, I don't think he's a bad man. I just don't know if he's the guy. And if we said Klobuchar is a woman, so she's off the table, Klobuchar we're left with Bloomberg. is a pleasing, moderate person who would be very fair and very decent. And maybe America needs four or eight years of like, because <sighs> the last four years were a real bummer. And maybe someone like her would be okay. The warm water between the fire and the ice to quote Spinal Tap. Thank you. And so, <laughs> and, and how about Bloomberg? Bloomberg is, is a guy who could, I could see winning just because he's large and in charge. His tweet yesterday, which completely uh, just deconstructed Trump, was brilliantly was generated. Good. Yeah, I, I think he actually hired Andrew Yang's social media team after Andrew Yang dropped out. Because all was, of a sudden his Twitter game just shifted. Because that, that last like, one, oh, shit. I can't quote, And he's buying up everything else. I was else, like, so. that was badass. Right, like, right. wow. And there's no way Trump doesn't read this stuff. And there's right. no way he doesn't huff and puff because he's easily goaded. And so I could see, I would not be surprised if Bloomberg won and it wouldn't be bad because it's been so bad for the last four years. And there's so many Americans who will take anything that's not Trump and any shortcoming of that president. Congress will be there. The people will be there and NGOs will be there and outreach groups will be there going like, okay, you're failing on that. So we'll get it. And so any one of them would be better. I just hope it's one of them because another four years of this, I, I, I really wonder about the strength of our constitution. It's a great document. It survived a civil war. It survived the failure of civil rights, in my opinion, and it's still with us. I just don't know if this country can take four more years of the middle class losing. And you don't live here, we do. I'm not trying to be mean, no. but um, the homeless situation in this city is, and I'm trying to fix it. You know, me and my mind driving to Trader yeah. Joe's, tent, 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 tent. How do I fix this? What's a good idea? I can't come up with one besides the idea of we're a monotype, we're monotypic, homo sapiens, we breed, breed, breed. 
some of us come out schizophrenic, challenged. We're in great need of six-figure-a-year care. We cannot face the fact that a veteran coming home, that's six figures for the leg, for the drugs, yep. for the therapy, like I need to tell you. We can't face the fact that some of our fellow Americans are six-figure-a-year people we have to care about. What if you built homeless city somewhere with condominiums? You took all these people off the street and gave them their meds. Your taxes would double. There'd be no one on the streets for six months. And the homeless from Colorado and everyone like free eats in LA, yeah. the streets would be full again because we can't solve a human problem. And so you basically, every concerned citizen would basically have to take care of someone who screams and claws their face outside of their apartment building every day. And I want to fix this. Gavin Newsom is not fixing it. I don't know how you fix a human problem on this scale. And I think Trump doesn't want to know. I, don't, I want to see a presidential candidate address American homelessness, veteran homelessness, like I need to tell you. But just we live in this city every yeah, day. Yeah. I was driving it's a, down. Um, it's also a problem about the core of, of our humanity, right? And, but, but, and I use homelessness and veterans as a great test because if veterans are this superhero, this, this super patriot, the folks that are often categorized as – you know, villains or, or victims and occasionally superheroes, if they are ending up homeless right? and we have this homeless problem, what does it mean for everybody else? Right. I, I think it's a gut check. It's, 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 it's a moment to really look inside of ourselves as a country. It's easy for people outside of LA to try to dismiss the homeless problem. It's not unique to LA. It's, it's no, intense it's, in LA. It's kind of everywhere, but, but it's also, it's a very powerful issue as, as a probe to see how can you actually fix problems well, that are about, you know, a, a policy problem, but also about a moral failure. And, and that's where I think some of these issues like fixing the VA, addressing veterans issues, where you actually have bipartisan support, you have plenty of money. Can, can you use the instruments of government against that problem? Well, it comes and, down to a fiscal idea yeah. in that you're going to give a tax cut to people who have so much money that they don't know what to do with it. Really? That's not a problem? No no laptops in that school's not a problem? Teachers who can't pay their rent because they're busy buying breakfast for half their class? That's not a problem? And so it comes down to how much do you love humans and how much do you love your fellow Americans? You want your patriotism tested. What are you going to do about this? Right. It's not a bumper sticker. Yeah. And it, it also comes down to leadership. And, I, and, and the power of words is something that you have mastery of. So, Henry, would you ever run for office? No. Why not? Because as Gore Vidal once said, by the time anyone gets to office, they've been bought and sold at least a dozen times. I but like would that my, have to be the case for you? I like my role in the private sector because I can have a podcast. I can write a book. I can speak to thousands of people a night and I can have impact. I think when you get into Congress, you're like, there's paperwork and you can't say that because it's not, we, we can't get the money that way. I always work locally. There's an orphanage here for many years that went away. Uh, my little book company, we, we contribute twice a year. We pool our money and send it out. And uh, we uh, sent a lot of money to the Hollygrove Children's Services Center for special needs orphans. And we, I think they, they, they changed. They went away. But we, we, that was our yearly donation because it was local. You could drive down and see, and we get sent presents. Like the kids would make drawings. We put them up. You can see change. And I, I tell my fellow Americans from stage, oh, you, you want to be political? You can't help it. You're an American. You're political anyway. Right. You want to see change? Do something at the end of your street. Don't wait for Congress. 
Don't wait for the Senate. Don't wait for a president. Don't wait for your mayor. Don't wait for a governor. You. It's you. It's not us. It's you. Us comes later. But don't wait for any elected official. They got paperwork. It's you carving up the turkey, doing this. I met some vets the other day. They make barbecue food. And they carve it up for, for homeless. And, they, and I said, so keep my name because if you're ever carving it up, I'll take a lesson and you know, they do stuff here in LA. I said, I'll do it with you guys when they really, I'm like, yeah, man, you, you make the meat, I'll cut it into slices. But um, you, you just got to be willing to, to help and see if you can do stuff. And even if it's like $10 to something, it's 10 more dollars than that agency had that morning. And the change comes from we, the people, we elect these people and they at, at best, American government is inefficient and kind of this, like, I vote because I'm supposed to. Do I expect results? No. I expect results from me and the people in my community. Mm. I demand it of myself, and I greatly encourage it with my fellow L.A. residents. So what about mayor? It's a lot of time in a suit. It's a lot of meetings. <laughs> Doesn't have to be, man. Nah, Doesn't have to be. I, I, got a, I got a sporty schedule, man. I, oh, I, I got a passport. Right. Well, the draft Henry movement may may be underway after this but, show but, you know, drops. But you, Clinton, President Clinton, who I like and don't like. I say that in part, Henry, because I want you to understand, like, I have met so many members of Congress. I have met so many yeah, executives. I, know. I have met so many people who are not only unqualified for the job, bad at the job. You are qualified for the job and would be good at the job. You're good at execution. You know, you're good at operations. You're good at making machines work, whether it's punk rock music or, you know, a book company. Um, you have all the skills in a very unique way that well, I think would be fascinating, but also encouraging to people who see this. This is great because we're getting into your patriotic nature and the, the attitude that you bring that I think is so important for people to hear more of well, because it's baked in a, in a positivity. I think that is important. And especially right now when people feel lost or feel frustrated, they're looking for folks who can bring that positivity. And that's always been a part of this show. So I want to ask you another question I ask of all our guests, Henry Rollins, what makes you happy? Uh, listening to records. I'm, I'm kind of a gloomy person, kind of depressed all the time, but I, I get kind of buoyancy neutral as, as they say in scuba uh, where I'm neither happy. I'm just like, ah, oh, okay. And that's when I put records on. I, when I have the music on, I'm okay. And uh, when the weekend comes, I, I put on a lot of music. And so there's a cup of coffee in tunes, either in the headphones or in front of the speakers. And that's when I'm at my happiest. Or uh, when I'm on tour and I have an audience, and it's you'll hear this from, from performer types, my level of affection for my audience, I cannot describe to you. Because I, when I say love, I get all embarrassed. I'm very uptight. But I love my audience more than life itself. Without them, I'm the tree that falls in the forest unwitnessed. I got no game going. I got nothing going on. If someone doesn't go, yay, I don't exist pretty much. I love that audience. I'm obsessed with my audience. I always tell them I, I, I beg for your approval and I, I fear disappointment. I'll have to chop off a finger if I bomb this show. I really don't want to. And so I'm happy when I'm on tour. That's why I don't like nights off. Like a night off, you're like, I'll do a talking show on the bus. I'll pace back and forth. <laughs> but uh, I love being on the road 
connecting with my audience because they want to be with me. And what they probably don't understand is I want to be with them more than they want to be with me. Mm. And when it all ends, one day it'll end. It's really going to suck because without any entertainer type, there's a use by date. And so um, I, I dread that day. So listening to music, being on tour with a gig every night is kind of when I'm at my best. It's never going to die, Henry. It's never going to go away because you've planted so many seeds in me and people in this room and so many people around this country that were awakened by you, were encouraged by you, were inspired by you. You have created a movement uh, in, in a way and you were a, a key leader in a social movement. Punk rock was a, was a social movement, in my view. Like yeah, in, in, I, was, in, I, I was one of the in, bouncing atoms in it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good voices, and know? that and that will live forever, and yeah. it will it will live uniquely in America forever in a way that I think will always move us forward. Yeah, hopefully, um, I mean, that's the only if we don't move forward, even if it let's at a snail's pace, we're, we're all dead. I mean, if we, if we don't go forward, everyone is screwed. And so even if you can't tell it's moving forward, it has to move. Yeah. And again, I don't rely on government or a law to make it move. It's you and me to make it. It's you. It's this. That's what makes it move. So I have to let you move forward. But I want to ask you before we come to the couple of conclusion parts of the show, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think it's like these people talk these people to death burning in your belly that you feel like you haven't had a chance to talk publicly about that's going on in the world or going on in this country. Uh, Again, the homeless thing really distresses me. I I live here. I see it here. And I got the mail the other day and I'm driving past uh, some North South street getting onto fountain and there some guys are loading like two tents and a bunch of stuff into a truck. And they're, they're going to smash it. Some tent city is going away. And I thought to myself, where's the, where's the, what do they do with the people? Like those two pe- those people have no home now. What happens tonight? Damn, we got a problem. And I can't fix it. I don't know what you do about that. And so um, I, gave, I was hanging out with two homeless guys at uh, yesterday in a 7-Eleven parking lot. And... Um, I'm like, damn, man, guy's got a black eye, he's missing some teeth. I'm like, how are you living? I didn't ask him, but like, I can see. And so I, I, don't, I don't know what, I literally do not know what to do about that. So that burns me up. And I'm afraid of where this country can go with another four years of this guy. And so, and here's my, here's my, my chicken crap thing. Uh, I usually tour every other year. This is an election year. The last presidential election, I was in Washington, D.C. at the Lincoln Theater Mm. on election night, something I will never do again. I'm 11 months into the tour. I got my stories. I'm well-oiled. I'm boom, bam, boom, punchline. That's funny. That's funny. Why are you people not laughing? And I'm like, that's a funny one. And everyone is looking at me like their dog just got hit by a car. And then they're looking at their crotch. I'm like, well, I know that's interesting to you, but can you please give me two hours? It's not like you didn't pay enough. And I don't, so I do my show and I hit all my marks. I walk off stage and every, by that, by two hours, everyone's now watching me like this. I'm like, I bombed. And I'm not saying my material's great, but I knew what I wanted to say. I'm like a hundred shows in. I'm, I get to the, I walk backstage. I see my friend Laylee and I said, what did I just do? She says, it's not you. Open your laptop. 
Trump won while I was on stage and all my wow. wonderful audience members are watching it happen on their phones. Like, yeah, that's pretty funny. The world is coming to an end. Oh, I'm glad that happened in your story. <laughs> Whoa, Ohio? Oh no, that happened in real time. Wow. And so here's the chicken crap aspect. It would be a great year for me to be on tour because it's very interesting right now. I don't know how this election is going to turn out and I'm not going to be speculating from the stage. Well, if this happens, go underground. If this happens, celebrate because I just don't want to. My only joke in those days was, well, if Trump wins, it's going to be a bunch of people hugging Alan Alda and a tree going, where do we go now? If Trump loses, it's going to be long lines to Walmart with a bunch of people stocking up for, you know, the big war. And, um, you know, because they're going to take your guns or whatever. And so I'm not going on tour this year. I'm going to let the dust settle to where I can write the, you know, the obituary. Or like, Can we write. book a show for the night after? Because no matter what happens, I would love to be there. We can have well, our, all I plan our, on being in D.C. If, if he wins, you can lead the celebration. If he loses, you can help us figure out what's next. But either way, we're yeah. going to need more Henry Rollins but, uh, in I, November and beyond. Well, yeah. And I, but I wimped out. Like, my agent's like, you're going to go on tour for this, right? I'm like, no. They're like, really? Because I usually tour we could, we could do year. a show for the homeless in L.A. Well, that's, that's easy. I mean, that'll do tomorrow. But there we go. Yeah, that, that, that I'm happy We're, we're already coming up with ideas, man. We can but make this as happen. as far as like 14 months of my life, no. which is what my tours yeah, are, yeah, 23 yeah. countries or yeah, whatever, yeah. I'm waiting to see what right. happens because my material, I'm working on material now that will, will be effective and impactful no matter what happens because right. ultimately we got to get along. Right. But um, this next election is a big one. And I don't know what's good. I really don't know what's going to happen. I, I watch people like Chris Hayes to get pumped up. Like, yeah, he is scared. He you is watch wounded. Chris Hayes to get pumped up? Be, because he'll say, look, here's like, where... Here's like, I, can't, I, can't, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. And if Chris Hayes ever heard that he pumps up Henry Rollins, that might be the best compliment he's ever gotten. He's a, he's, he's a bright guy. Very bright. But, very, but I don't think he, Chris Hayes pumped he, up. He says things like, look, here's where he's not doing well yeah. on, on these yeah. issues. And historically, here's what he's done. And here's where he backs off. And this and this and this. And you're like, Wow. Okay, maybe we just got a piton on the rock face. We can pull ourselves up because otherwise, because another four years, it's going to be a very tough America to live in. And you know, I've really come to love this city. When I first moved out here, you see like the wacky lady with the leopard skin hat at the deli, and you're like, okay. And now I'm like, I'm so happy that we have the guy in the dress and. Everyone goes, wow, you look great today, that we have this diversity yeah. where we're getting along and you can be the, the kook with a crazy hat. And everyone's like, that is, that's great. <laughs> I love L.A. for that. I love California for that. Like, you wacky liberals. Yeah. It's whatever. We're free here. And you go to gigs, rock and roll shows now. I'm always the oldest person at the gig. I stand at the back so no one breaks my hip. But... <laughs> You just see young people being gay and it's cool and everyone's cool. And you're like, okay, this is a great city. It's got some tough parts, but these are, this, this is a great pack of people to be around. I would really hate to see that change in another four years. I, I hate to see what this city is going to be like with this kind of non-leadership. I fear it. 
Well, the, the city is in part that way because of your leadership. Well, there's and, a lot of and, good people and, in the And city this country is in part, the best of it is what it is in part because of your leadership. So no matter what happens, there will be a need for your leadership. Yeah. And, and in this community and on this show and here today especially, I am exceptionally grateful for your leadership because that's what it is. Because in my world of the military and now in activism and now leadership is not just about getting the fancy office or about having the title. Leadership is about sacrifice. And what people who don't know you don't understand is how much you have sacrificed in in support of your leadership yeah, and in support not, not of like so many others. But I know, but it, it's yeah. not a, it, it's never a comparison, right? What you, you people need to know that it does require sacrifice, and I want you to know that I am grateful for it. Sure, as an American and and as a citizen and as a fan of all that is right and good. I am grateful my sons are in a better world and they will have more hope because Henry Rollins exists and because of your leadership. And because of you. Well, and for that, I am exceptionally grateful. And I want to show my gratitude in a number of ways. Thanks. Please get, get, note that we always do a, a bag of gifts. Okay. This is the giving of the gifts. Now, first, I want to start. It's, it's, it's uh, Valentine's Day, so I got you some chocolates. Oh. It's a heart-shaped box of chocolates. Because my, I won't see my family till it's technically not Valentine's Day anymore when I get home very, very late. And so, so your Valentine is a man leaning on 60 who can't find his way to a car. It's over there somewhere. There, there, <laughs> and there's a Valentine, lot worse pe people it, to be it, my Valentine than my, you. And my Valentine and, is this hulking bald man sitting across the <laughs> well, well, I'll take it. So well, we've got <laughs> more. You. So in this bag, we've got uh, first we've got some um, some Angry Americans merchandise right there. Okay. You are a master, made in America by the veterans of Oscar Mike. Then we've got the next uh, tradition in this show. Oh, they, they folks who listen to this these? show know Easter's coming again, but this has been done with every single guest. We have three colors of peeps. We have blue, pink, and yellow. Right. Which color would you choose, Henry, and why? Oh, pink. Because Mike. It, Mike. Oh. I had to tell Henry to use his mic. I would, amazing. I would choose pink just because it's a color that means so much in this country. Uh, it represents. And so... Uh, the pink will work for me. I love it. And then lastly, we usually give folks a American-made whiskey. And huh. I recognize that you don't drink, so I had to think about what you did. And Mercy Rich on our team found, like, the nicest sparkling water we could possibly oh. find. And, look at, we're, and it's got a pretty badass bo bottle. Wow. Look right? At so that. this is fancy Pellegrino with a really badass-looking kind of... If, if Pellegrino was going to be a rock-and-roll bottle, yeah, it would kind of be like that. Carved by hand by artisans in, in, in uh, the sides of mountains. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes. And I also want to note, it was Henry's birthday, folks. Yesterday. Yesterday was Thank Henry's you. birthday. So I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor. Let's sing happy birthday uh, to Henry. Can we do that? Yeah. Henry, you want to leave? How do we sing to Henry Rollins? Any recommendations for <laughs> How about I do it for you? Please. Uh, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, dear Henry. You're turning 60 and everything hurts. Happy birthday to me. I, I spared you. There you go. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been an exceptional conversation with Professor Henry Rollins. You are such an important, inspiring American. I am so thankful for, for you joining us. Uh, thank you for coming here. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all of you that are here. 
This has been Angry Americans live from the Hotel Cafe with the great and powerful Henry Rollins. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir.